0: All right. Welcome to the Staking Insider podcast. Today with Pablo Villa. It's great to have you on the show here. Really excited for the conversation. Thanks, hey,
1: Mirko. Looking for it as well.
0: Awesome. So you're a serial founder with like two successful exits. You, you're you already doing this for over 15 years, which is pretty impressive that you are still here and like still grinding. You founded a fitness app and a SaaS company before, and now you started DivaLabs, a new liquid staking protocol. So first of all, let me start. Why do you go through the pain of being a founder? <laughs> oh, wow. Like from from scratch again? What 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 bit you there? That's a great question. I don't know how I ended up here. <laughs> but I guess
1: in the last platform, in, in the last projects I had, I always felt that really direct connection to the problems I was solving. So I was at some point really disorganized and thinking, okay, if I want to work with teams, I'll work on this project management solution. Then I got a little bit of a shape and I thought, well, I'll make a fitness set. And all this time I've been Curious, involved, playing with crypto, and I was super excited about staking. So the more I looked into it, the more I thought, hey, there's something here. I feel it's something I, I wanted to exist, and I, I want to be part of that. It It's something interesting, fun, and with real impact. So that's how I came to join Diva Labs.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, so it's, it's very intrinsic motivation, you would say, from like starting yeah. staking yourself, I guess. So what, what motivates you? Like, why 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 do you get up in the morning? Like, why, why are you doing this?
1: Well, I think the... What I like about crypto is that it's simultaneously this experiment with incentives, with economics, with game theory, and it all comes together in this really interesting space. So I think every day, just hearing the technical challenges that we're doing and how we're going to set this up, and how are we going to bring people on board and make it work for them? That's it it just puts into this cycle where everything becomes like fun and, and kind of flows.
0: Yeah. So you said it's also the the technical challenges that kind of interest you there. For sure. Awesome. Yeah. And how how did you end up with staking specifically? So like how how did you get into staking? You you just had mm-hmm. some Ethereum tokens, started staking yourself and kind of saw the the pains of like it being very difficult to stake or like how like why why did you end up doing a staking venture specifically yeah so i feel like the
1: ethereum protocol designers have made staking just to be this very appealing thing that everybody should holding it should be doing right so i like ethereum a lot i i think it has a huge potential and i think it has some of the smartest developers in the world and staking just feels like a no-brainer it's like this way to get exposure to everybody building something on top of ethereum be it layer twos, apps, whatever. But the problem I saw is, well, there's still this element of trust anywhere you're staking, right? So you're either trusting Coinbase or Binance or Kraken, and they're all a little bit different, or you're trusting some kind of online system. And I feel like there wasn't a way to do it without really trusting anyone with the best conditions. So I thought, well, that sounds like a really interesting problem because connects cryptography, trust, economics, and that's how I ended up joining Diva.
0: Yeah, that's super exciting. I'm I'm personally like super excited about this space like because there's there's like two extremes. You have the exchanges where you give up complete custody. Mm-hmm. And then the other option is like you need to run a validator yourself. I have like 32Es mm-hmm. and everything. And now it's yep. like it's a whole industry merging in between those things, kind of, I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to also dive a little bit deeper into like what you're doing exactly there. So let's talk mm-hmm. a little bit about Diva. Um mm-hmm. You guys are basically combining one of the two most exciting developments in staking in one product, which is liquid staking and distributed mm-hmm. validator technology. So how, how did this start? How did this come together, like these two technologies and then like the formation of Diva? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the basic idea came from
1: some friends at DapNode. So DapNode allows you to run, run your own validator and be a solo staker very easily. But the problem they saw is first... Not everybody had this 32 ETH, and even though Dapna make, makes it a lot easier, it felt like it's still expensive. So they were looking for a way to automate that, if you will. And on the other hand, it feels like you are not participating in all the advantages of liquid staking when you when you run a solo solo staker setup. So we were thinking, okay, how do we connect all these people and make sure that they're not no longer individual car drivers, but they're more like a like an Uber kind of like a union where they can share all the nice things. You know, if you're in a union, you have things like, oh, you can drive or not drive one day, like you can take holidays and your rewards are maybe more predictable. So we thought, how can we make this look as, as distributed as possible so anybody can join and leave whenever they want while having all these advantages of we're staking? So that's where the idea comes from. But the challenge here is when you have this big network of individual participants you need really good incentive systems to make sure that they can all trust each other. Because now you have, what's the issue of a lazy validator that stops doing things for the network? Or what if somebody becomes malicious? So this opens a he- whole new design space. And economically, it's something I feel is worth doing for everyone. But technically, is where all this DVT aspect comes in, right? Like connecting that deeply to the economics is what makes, this, what makes Diva possible.
0: Yeah. Did you have like an inflection point or like this, this one moment in time where you thought, okay, like, that's it. Like, th- this is the thing that I need to do. Yeah, definitely. So initially it was more of a prototype in a hackathon, but it felt
1: technically interesting. But I think it really was when I started realizing the size of the staking economy when, when that made sense in my mind. Like at some point I was like, wow, we're dealing with billions of dollars. Like in a lot of ways... Even smaller entities are bigger than a lot of these banks that are in the Nias all this time. So, yeah, I just realized how massive that was and how this would become a pillar for the crypto economy. And then it was no longer like an interesting project, but like something that I could really see as a, as a kind of protocol and, and community project.
0: Yeah, how like when you would have to describe like the the problem that you guys are solving, like from first principle, mm-hmm. what, what would you say in like, just very brief?
1: I'd say, if you have ETH and you want to stake it, you have to decide who do you stake it to. And that is a really a choice based on trust. And what DIVA does is it removes all the trust from the equation. So you can simply look at the system, trust the system and the cryptography and know that that will work. So in a way, I like to think about DIVA as a little bit like a layer two for validation. Where if that layer 2 is built in the most resilient way, it will be much better than the layer 1, but it will inherit all these kind of security assumptions from layer 1. So I guess what we're doing is kind of a layer 2 for validation.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting to to put it. So I agree. Trust is definitely one of the biggest factors that people consider when choosing a staking provider. Mm -hmm. And especially for liquid staking, that's a big thing because it's kind Mm -hmm. of like, as we said, in between like the the full trust and like Mm -hmm. minimized trust or like just running your own validator is like fully trustless. Mm -hmm. You could say you just trust yourself. Um, to manage the private keys. But what would you say on like all the current liquid staking protocols? Like what is still missing in the market when you (laughs) look at everything that's currently out there? And how does Diva address that specifically? Well, what I'll say is if you start with centralized exchanges, they work
1: a lot like a bank, right? Like you're trusting their reputation, that they're transparent to some degree. but, But the issue is you're still trusting one centralized party. And that centralized party is subject to well, the team operating correctly, the jurisdiction not banning certain behaviors. And if we learn anything this year is that everything can change, right? So I think what platforms like LIDA did well is saying, okay, let's not just have one node operator, let's have a bunch of node operators. And then at least we're distributing a risk, but the risk is still there. So if there will be like international change in regulation that would affect all the countries, everybody will still be affected. So. What I like about Rocket Pool is how they said, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll allow many tiny participants and each one would bond for a collateral. So in a way, Pool is more like a trading portfolio of validators where you have a bunch of positions and each one is collateralized. I like that a lot. But the issue we have is that you're still trusting these positions and, and each validator still has a key that they could lose. And I feel like the final missing piece is DBT. And that's what we're doing. We're connecting this distribution, to the liquid staking, to the DVT, which allows us to have the key really distributed in the whole network. So no single party has the key. And I feel that's the the final missing part to really make staking completely trustless.
0: Yeah. So, and and that's the solution that Diva has, right? It allows Mm -hmm. anyone basically to contribute to running a validator. Um, Mm -hmm. how, How does this work exactly? So if someone wants to participate in Diva, they can contribute like... Let's say I have one ETH. How can I get started contributing and like owning a part of the validation key? Or
1: what's the process there? So there's two processes. If you simply want to stake, you can just go online, deposit ETH. You will get a div ETH, which is the liquid staking token. And that's it. You don't need to run anything. What that gives you is that gives you the staking rate, whatever it is. So let's say five, six percent. But now if you're an operator, being an operator is more an active participant. So that means you're taking more risk, you're doing more work, but you're getting compensated for that work. So if you're an operator and you have one E, what you can do is you can install the devat package. It's a Docker image, so you can run it in your server very easily. Once it's installed, it will synchronize with all the Ethereum clients. That takes a few hours. Depends on setup. And at that point, it will ask, okay, how many validators would you like to run? You say, okay, well, I just have one ETH. so it will be one. You can deposit one ETH, or you can do more. So if you have 5 ETH, 10 ETH, 100, you can just do more. And as those get assigned to you, you will start receiving keys. And each key is a little bit like a house in Monopoly. So the more houses you have, the more rewards you make. And we designed the incentives. So an operator will get up to
0: two times the rewards than a regular sticker would. All right. That's amazing. But as an operator, you have to basically run... A full validator yourself, but mm-hmm. you don't validate like an entire like thirty two E's, but you just validate the the one yeah, E's, so sure. to say. But you earn mm-hmm. uh, you say double the rewards on that because you're contributing to it and running the node twenty four seven. At a high level, that that's right. The way it technically works is each validator key, which is
1: one and only one, there. What we do is we do a distributed key generation, which means that sixteen different nodes. Come together and say, "Hey, I will have a part of the key," and only them together. It's a little bit like a multisig. It's, it's a threshold signature. What it means is you will need two-thirds of that committee to approve anything. That has some really nice effects. The first one is because you're a larger group, you can split the collateral, so instead of putting 16 Es, like in rocket pool or eight, you can just do one. So it allows us to make it as small as we want. But the second one is you're allowed to kick out somebody. And you're allowed to come to consensus on what should happen without everybody being in consensus. So, for example, if somebody becomes malicious, everybody else could tip them out of the network. And then the network can recover 100% quality, 100% liveliness. So there's really nice side effects having this flexibility that wouldn't be possible without DVT.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So it's basically, maybe you could look at it like a democracy where you have like on a on a federal level and on a state level and on a town level or something and there Mm -hmm. is individual consensus for each level right so then what DIGA does is you get to consensus on the validator level first and then Mm -hmm. on consensus on the network level only after that right
1: exactly and I'll give you an example of when that comes that's useful so today Ethereum doesn't have a way to force validator exit if you don't have the key. And that's a problem because if you're holding a key to a validator and you lose it, what happens is those funds are stuck for up to 10 years and half of them are lost. And by the time you get them, well, yeah, they're they're probably worth much less. So what we can do, because we have this key splitting, is if some people go offline and they're not responding for a couple of days, we can simply replace them. So my model is leave us a little bit like like an office, where people show up every day, and if enough people show up, the office works. and if some people are sick, and even if a lot of people are sick, the office keeps working, and actually there's no impact to the productivity of the office.
0: Right, yeah. oh, that's great. that's amazing. So as a, let's say as an operator, can you walk us like through the the user experience, let's mm-hmm. say at lounge, and then also how does this progress over time, let's say, in a year from now mm-hmm. or two years from after lounge? I mean. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so we have two phases prepared for this. In the first phase, what we will do is the network will launch, but there will not be an economic model for operators. So operators will not get compensated an additional part of the ETH rewards. The benefit will be on stakers, and it will be two features, liquid staking plus DVT, but it will still not be economically trustless with this model. The reason we're doing this is because it will be the first time that you have 100% DVT in production. Uh, hopefully, if nobody beats us to it. <laughs> but we're on track so far. So that is already a big enough innovation that we want to keep it running for a few months. And only after, we will propose to the DAO and the DAO will probably activate this economic module. And then the rewards will be split between stakers and operators. So if you're an operator and you want to join, you will be installing this package. There will be a package that kind of manages everything for you. You won't need to do key management. You won't need to Initially, in the collateral, you can play with the network. Initially, we'll have very high requirements for node operators. We're expecting that only very experienced people, like many of the operators from staking rewards, for example, are, are people who are in conversations. We're expecting this will be the first kind of runners of the network. And gradually we want everybody to join. Like if somebody has a machine at home, they want to install it, it should be somebody that really anybody can join with any technical, should, any technical requirements.
0: That's awesome, yeah. And you mentioned in the beginning you also close with DevNode from the beginning. Is there like any type of partnership planned between DevNode and Diva, for example? So we are completely separate projects,
1: but we're quite friendly, both being in the same space and the original idea from Diva comes from the founder of DevNode. So the partnership we'd like to do is propose a package that if you have a DevNode, you can basically click, install Diva, and everything will be... Configure it for you automatically. That's something that we've already prototyped. We need to work a
0: little more on. So you can expect it to come in a few months. That's awesome. Yeah, great news for everyone with a depth note, I think. And so what do you think is the biggest challenge that you guys still have to overcome in the next years to be fully successful? I think the, the main challenge is trust and reputation.
1: When you launch a new project, people are... Still having a look at, okay, who's running this? Can I trust it? What we're doing is we're working with the best security auditors we can. We're working with early stakers who are willing to work very closely with the project and support it really early on. So we will be announcing probably a few programs for stakers, operators, partners, integrations um, to make sure that the project is as integrated in the ecosystem as possible. So, yeah, a lot of people think, okay, it's the challenge of building the product, but we think it's really making a product that everybody would connect to and that is deeply integrated in DeFi.
0: Yeah. What is more important, getting more users, stakers of DeFi or getting more operators? So like, what's your focus there in terms of the go-to market?
1: It's so a chicken and egg pronoun,
0: a bit like Uber, how you need to put drivers in the
1: street and you need to create the demand for it. We're more focused on creating the demand. Because the operators are very knowledgeable, very experienced. They have great feedback on the model. So I feel I feel the operators will be the easier part. We're, we're more more focused on the utility for stakers.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And in terms of the rollout plan, so you mentioned you are on track, kind of. Do you have, like, are you going live on a, a testnet first and then mainnet? Mm-hmm. Or what's the rollout plan there? And do you... Have any estimates you can give for the audience in terms of the launch? For sure. So we are currently in development. We will be
1: releasing testnet probably in the second half of April. And with that testnet, we start, there's already a lot of operators that are confirming and they want to like contribute, play with it. We're expecting to launch the mainnet in Q2 after Shanghai and Capella. That's important for us because we are building Diva for a push with Rose World. And after that, we expect to have six to 12 months where we're running in this base model without an economic model for operators. And then probably after Cancun, we will activate the economic model. The reason to wait after Cancun is because there's a bunch of improvements that will come in Cancun that will make security much better for stakers. So we are kind of picking our battles and saying, okay, what do we need right now? And what do we need in in a few months? But if you want to operate, if
0: you want to play with it, Q2 is the time when, when everything will come out. Awesome. Right, the waves of the continuous Ethereum upgrades. Makes sense. Cool. Hopefully. Let's talk a little bit about the recent regulatory action in staking. This has mm-hmm. been like a pretty controversial and a lot of people talked about it. Um, what do you think about like what's happening there right now on the regulatory side for staking? And what role do you think has liquid staking and what role will Liquids take play for the future of Ethereum in mm-hmm. the next years?
1: Yeah, so my mental model is Ethereum is somehow this Ethereum nation, right? And it has different connections to its country and its regulatory landscape. And things have been changing so much because Ethereum is growing quickly, right? So my thinking is when you're using entities based in the US or in different regulations, you're kind of having a partnership with this this environment. That partnership is not very clear today. So I think the future of Ethereum is really that we need two or three solutions with very different characteristics. Like some of them should be more regulated, more classified. Some of them should be more maybe reputation obtained. Some of them should be more collateralized. But I think what we'll see in the future is probably three dominant solutions that have really different characteristics like this kind of triangle. And I think people will be using them intensively, maybe allocating to all three, maybe sw- swapping between them, a little bit in a way similar to what we've seen with stable coins. I think there should be like a healthy balance that allows us to be more resilient.
0: You mean like similar to stable coins, like there's UCC and UCT, and they take different value propositions? So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's interesting.
1: Right. So there's um, value in in having that diversity because otherwise, yeah, 100% exposure to a, a single thing, and the whole crypt, crypto ecosystem becomes brittle because of it.
0: Yeah. So you you mentioned there, like you you would see three dominant solutions. Can you like just summarize them again? Like the one, two, mm-hmm. three. So I think you can look at the leaderboard. and <laughs> You can see Coinbase, Kraken will probably
1: keep that role of centralized exchanges. I think Lido still has a really big head start and they will be keeping this position. And what we're we're saying is it should be a kind of liquidity equivalent for staking, right? Like a system that's completely crypto-economic, that's completely economic-based. And we're building Diva to be one of the best candidates here.
0: Yeah. So you think the the third category basically is like entirely protocol trustless? Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Yeah. So, if you look into the future, like how do you imagine the perfect staking user experience? Like, what would it look like if it were perfect? Well, my vision—I have a
1: really clear one, actually. Have you ever used BitTorrent? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, it was easy, right? Like, if you could just turn it on, yeah. be working, and then turn it off whenever you wanted. That's my vision for the future of, of operator experience. I think it should be a thing that you click, that it very instantly connects, that you don't need to worry about anything, and that the more time you keep it on the more you're validating. And I feel like we should design networks that make that possible really easy, that make it lower power, lower hard drive consumption, lower skills. And that is, if we think of a world where we have tens of thousands of nodes, then we're fulfilling these crypto principles of resiliency. So, I hope we can get there. making it yeah. cheap and easy.
0: Definitely. I mean, it's crazy how much computation power you already have on your phone. And then, if like, on one side, the computa- computational power of the hardware goes up. On the other side, mm-hmm. the computational requirements of running a validator go down. This will probably meet at some point. This yeah, exactly, a, like, like pretty exciting. We feature, all I think.
1: we all have these routers at home as well. Like it, it, there could be like a tiny box like that that can run a validator. Then yeah,
0: that's that's how we can reach a thousand more nodes, like a thousand times more nodes. But do you think the private keys? This is going to be a big issue because it's like almost everyone that I that I ask who's like a say crypto normie kind of like people who invest in crypto and like and are excited about it, but like they have like they don't work in in crypto so to say like they're they're struggling with the crypto native risks of like handling your own private key and so on. And then sometimes you ask them and like, are you staking? And they say, yeah, I'm staking on Binance or I'm staking on Crypto.com or something. Um, because they're just not comfortable, like moving it on-chain. Like, mm-hmm. um, well, I think that, that's a great point as well. So you're talking more of the staker experience, and I think
1: new wallets with account extraction will make this a lot easier. So I think we win the, the moment that we get to the point that is easy as Binance or Coinbase, right? If you have an account extraction wallet, which directly you can do an on-ramp, pay with your card or transfer it, and then stake it instantly, we need to make it easy for these solutions to connect to on-chain things like, like Diva, because that way the circle is complete. You come from Fiat or whatever it is, you stake. It's completely online. It's completely managed with your phone with this account structure functionality. So yeah, hopefully the staker experience becomes a lot simpler.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, just need to make it as easy as possible for any institution mm-hmm. to onboard the protocols and the, the native infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And let, let's brainstorm a little bit. Like, what advice would you give to someone who is like, just not super comfortable running, like mm-hmm. handling his own private keys in, in terms of staking? Like where where to start? Well, if you're a new staker,
1: I think the best place to start is get some ease. You can use something like a Metamask wallet, but I... I start to like things like Argent, where they kind of are pushing these simpler ways to recover your keys and they have good integrations and they're starting to as- integrate LSTs. So I would say, I would say, probably play with something like that with Ambire, Argent, or one of these new generation wallets that are really thought for users. You don't really need all the funct- advanced functionality to like integrate on chain and so on. And they they do give you like good explanations of how staking can work. So I think think probably a consumer
0: wallet is a good place to start. Yeah, no, I think so too. Especially like just starting mobile first and um, Mm -hmm. doing it obviously with small amounts, I guess, because as you move very high amounts on chain, Mm -hmm. um, you obviously need like way more security and backups and so on, which is probably a, a hassle for a lot of people. And you don't need a large amount to start, right? Like you can put 0.1 ETH
1: or something like that, play with it, look at it in a few days, and you know the yield will be there two weeks later.
0: So you can always do more if, if you feel comfortable with it. Yeah. What, what do you think needs to happen to bring staking to the next billion users?
1: Hmm. Good question.
0: And I'm, I'm wondering
1: if there's any use case or country where it's already happening, you know, like there's countries that suffer so much from inflation, but honestly, if you look at Ethereum, it might be a safe haven safe asset. So I think what needs to happen is for Ethereum to stabilize, to, to stop having like 3x price swings and to become something more like like a value, a little bit like Apple or so on has been for the tech world. I think Ethereum can have that role in something more stable, more predictable, and I think staking definitely helps because the moment that you have a yield or something, it means that now there's this reflexivity that can make the price more stable. So I think it's a mix of understanding Ethereum. Once you understand it, it's a lot easier to trust what's behind and just maturity that's slowly totally coming from,
0: from the ecosystem. Yeah, definitely. No, and yeah, I also think it's like obviously make it as accessible as possible. As you mentioned, like, yeah, being able to, for everyone to run a node, just downloading a software like BitTorrent and like running a node on your mm-hmm. phone kind of, this would be pretty exciting. And then if there is another solution to like manage your private keys well, and you have like all the trust from mm-hmm. like an Apple and so on, like this, this would certainly help a lot of countries, I think, to mm-hmm. get out of inflation issues, yeah yeah, and it also needs to be an education thing, right? Like this idea of
1: self-custody of I own my keys, I'm responsible for social backups or keeping a copy. all this is a slow education thing that you know we we learned web two, so why not learn web three? I think I think it's going to be a really
0: exciting journey as more people join the ecosystem. Awesome. Yeah, I'm super excited for the future and I'm also super excited for the next steps of Diva and I'd like to see your solution come alive. Thanks so much, Pablo. It was a great episode. I'm really looking forward to everything Thanks that's much. coming and for everyone listening, stay tuned. Make sure to check out the recent episodes and subscribe to the YouTube and until then, happy staking.
1: Thank you so much for everything you're doing for the ecosystem. It's great to be with you today.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Pablo.
1: Bye-bye.